Well, good morning, church. Here we are uh, at the final week of our Afraid of the Dark series. If you've been tracking with us, we've taken the last, uh, this is the fourth, so the last three, past three Sundays in this one, to really do a bit of a deeper dive into Luke 11 and 12. And we've all shared that as we've prepared and and. Uh, prayed and gotten ready for this. We've really sensed that this is what God has put before us uh, in this season and this time as a church. And so us as uh, some of the members of the teaching team, the primary members of the teaching team thought, let's do this together today to wrap it up, uh, to kind of share some of our reflections as we've spent some time in this passage and we've journeyed together as a church. And so that's where we find ourselves on this week. If you, if you haven't been yet tracking with us or if you just want a refresher, some of the things we've looked at in Luke 11 and 12 is you just see a lot of the words of Jesus. Jesus is talking to large crowds, but he has specific words at times for his disciples and the Pharisees too. And Quincy in week one sort of took us through some of the words of Jesus talking about what it looks like to be filled with the light at the end of Luke 11, uh, verses 33 to 36, somewhere in there, if you want to kind of flip through your Bible to see some of those words, talking about what it means to be a person who lives fully in the light. And right after Jesus says that, week two, we realize he goes to hang out with the Pharisees, and he has other very strong words to say to the Pharisees about what it looks like when you're actually not living in, in the light. He had, he had a list of woes and warnings for them to say, you think you're doing this so right, and yet you're not. And we spent some time looking at what we can maybe take from that piece of it as a church. And then last week, Jimmy and Laura did a fantastic co-teach where we just, where Jesus dove in just a little bit further to talk about, this is what the Pharisees, you think it looks like to codify God and come up with a list of rules of the religion that's gonna get you in or keep you out. And Jesus says, following me, being in my presence is so much lighter than what that looks like. And my spirit will be present with you. And today, if you wanna follow along in your Bible, we're headed to Luke chapter 12. We're gonna start at verse 22 and head to 32. And we wanna read that together as we jump into this morning. Luke 12, starting at verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, and yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And can all your worries add to a single moment of your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over the bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or they make, they or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith, so little trust? Verse 29, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink and do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And so to kind of start off our teaching this morning, I want to position us with the theme that we saw as we sat with this passage. Often what our practice is, isn't the only way to prep a teaching, is to just pray and listen and say, okay, God, what, what do you have for us? What's sort of standing out? 
And that word kingdom just kind of rose to the top for each of us. And so I want to position for us as we start into what this passage holds, uh, both in the time it was written, but also for us today, is to remind us of the call that we have if we are followers of Jesus, that we are kingdom people. And if we look at the chunk as a whole, these last four weeks, Luke 11 and 12, we see the words of Jesus woven all through this to two groups of people, the Pharisees who really thought they knew what it meant to be like holders of the kingdom, striving to build the kingdom, be kingdom builders. And then you contrast that so much with what Jesus actually has to say about the kingdom and says, you're not kingdom builders, you're kingdom bringers. And so in Matthew chapter 23, which isn't where we're landing today, but there's a verse there as Jesus is talking to the Pharisees again, Matthew 23, 13, where it's it's another account of this time. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and this is what he says to them. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Jesus had some strong words for the Pharisees when it came to the idea of kingdom because in essence, they really had it entirely wrong. And if you contrast that with some of the other words of Jesus a little bit earlier in Matthew, as Jesus talks about the kingdom, he says to those that are following him, seek first my kingdom, seek my kingdom first. And when you do that, all these things will be added to you. Jesus talked about his kingdom all the time, and yet the Pharisees somehow missed it. They had the wrong priorities and measurements. They thought that this is what is good and right, and so they assumed that while they were the most religious, that they were building the kingdom of Israel. They had the kingdom of God totally wrong. And when Jesus says, you actually shut the door of the kingdom in people's faces, you are preventing people from entering the kingdom. And then when Jesus talks to his followers, it's an open invitation. Seek it, seek it first. You have access to it, full and free access to it. And then he goes on to talk about, but here's what my kingdom really is. And friends, as we start, I just want to position that this is true of us today too. I know we may be in a season as a church of figuring out our identity and figuring out what is good and right and true and where are we even at. Let me remind us that it doesn't matter our circumstances. The call has not changed on our lives that we are a kingdom people. We have full free access to the kingdom and God calls us to be kingdom bringers. He does the work of the building, but we're called to be kingdom bringers. And if you need that reminder today, that inspiration, that call, that centering around this, as people who follow Jesus, don't ever lose sight of the beauty and simplicity of being a kingdom bringer. The kingdom is not about keeping rules, following religious traditions, building empires, status, celebrity, power, It's not even about attaining a security for after we die. The kingdom of God is about announcing God's eternity here and now in the world we find ourselves. That is the privilege we get. The kingdom of God is joining with him in the restoration of this world through justice, through mercy, through peace, through forgiveness, through radical generosity. 
God has called us to move his kingdom forward. Jimmy, take us a little further into the actual passage. Yeah. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid. Don't lack trust. Don't worry, little flock, for it gives you your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Uh, somebody hit me up on social media this week and, uh, and last week, actually, and just asking, like, what on earth is wrong with you on staff doing a series called Afraid of the Dark, being a church that lives in the light? Aren't you guys the exact opposite of this? And maybe you felt that too as we've navigated through the series. It's like, this is a little bit tone deaf. What are we talking about? I mean, think about what we've been through. Exactly, exactly. This is us leaning into our own sense of darkness as a, as a, as a church family and also our individual uh, stumbles and misses and where God uh, brings light. Now, there's a couple of ways that you can think about that. When you think bringing, like shining light onto the darkness, it's like, oh my goodness, all of my secrets, so on and so forth is going to be excuse, uh, exposed and not excused. Uh, and certainly that part of that is true, but in verse, in chapter 11, Jesus sets the stage of like what light does, what the lamp of your soul is. And actually that light overcomes darkness. That as a child of God, one who, who professes faith in Jesus and who lives with the spirit of God within us, that, that the light emanates out of us, that the darkness cannot hold on. And so that's what certainly we've felt convicted of as a teaching team moving into the series is just like owning our stuff. And leaning into those areas uh, in this current season that we need to uh, be transparent with and also just receiving the feedback, even from those like outside of our church. And so maybe if you're you know, watching online or you're here uh, in Oakville or at any one of our locations and you're like, what's the deal with this series? Hear us say, this is us leaning into that reality, not leading away which is exactly the context of Luke 11 and 12. Exactly the context of Luke 11 and 12. And why, why I think God by his mercy uh, and kindness has led uh, us to kind of walk this through. Okay, so there's about six things that Jesus addresses in Luke 11 and 12. Uh, religion, hypocrisy, stuff, worry, scarcity, blessing, kingdom, kindness. Religion, hypocrisy, stuff, worry, scarcity, blessing, kingdom, kindness. So eight. For the record, eight. that's eight. That's eight. eight. Math's not real good. Pastors be pastoring. Uh, eight things in a very short uh, chunk of scripture. Now, as a reminder of where we've been and where like this journey kind of unfolds in the teaching of Jesus, Jesus is now moving his attention and mission of his ministry towards Jerusalem. Now, why would that be the case? Number one, it's because Jerusalem was the dwelling place, was the, was the locus of the kingdom for Israel. It was also the place where Jesus would lose his life. And it was also the place where the greatest miracle in human history would reorient everything, would change everything, the way that we've uh, acted and, and thought, uh, thought about faith in God. And so chapter 11, Jesus talks about lamps and lights, right? Week one. So what is it that is in your heart? What is it that you're trying to do? What is it that God is doing in you that leads you towards God? And there's always two sets of ears listening in a, on this story. If you were a person on the margins hearing like Quincy shared in week one, you would have been hearing like, what? God sees me, like I count, I matter. I'm like the most marginalized, victimized person on the margin of religion and you're saying that God sees me. Wow, 
what a blessing, the kindness of God. Whereas the other set of years would have been the religious set of years, even the disciples in some parts of being like, wait, but we're in, right? Like we get this, we get to own the things and have the things and have the power. And like, we write the laws. So like, who are you to talk to us, Jesus? It's the, uh, it's the, the rebuke of Jesus. It's the correction of Jesus. So always two sets of years. And then in chapter 12, like Carmen shared in week two, Jesus is invited uh, to a kingdom dwellers, a kingdom owners in terms of Israel, a kingdom owner's house to eat, which was a common display of like Eastern hospitality. It was like, let me show you what I have, the blessing of God, the kingdom of God in my life. Who are you as a rabbi to teach us anything? Come and eat. Jesus blows past the uh, ceremonial washing ritual that like the, the elders, the teachers, the religious lawyers had exemplified at the time and just gives, whoa, 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 whoa. Says, you're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. You're shutting people out of the kingdom, not inviting people in like you just said. Why? Turn around. Stop doing this. Correct, correct, correct. And then Jesus leaves uh, the dinner and heads out to the crowd, which is Fascinating, fascinating that thousands of people have congregated outside of this uh, religious lawyers, this Pharisee's home to hear more about what Jesus has to say, including his disciples. And so Jesus talks to his disciples first and then the crowds and corrects the, the, the Pharisees, the, the lawmakers at the time saying like, don't be like them. Guard yourself against hypocrisy. Don't say one thing and live another. Don't attain for the, the stuff of the kingdom. Uh, and and uh, be confronted with the scarcity of your own soul. There's more that's going on here. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't fear. Think about the birds. Think about how they're free and up and think about how much God cares for them. Don't fear about what you'll say when you're brought before the people like, like this person in this house asking like, tell me about your religion. Tell me how you've memorized your stuff. Tell me how you know your Bible for God will give you by his spirit, the words to say that the spirit will come upon you as one who professes faith in Jesus, who has Jesus at the center. The spirit will come upon you, live within you and give you the words to say like a counselor like a caregiver, the paraclete, who's moving you towards righteousness, Christ likeness, living in the light and exposing all darkness, religion, hypocrisy, stuff, worry, scarcity, blessing, kingdom, and kindness. Now at the heart of this, certainly in the rest of chapter 12 is one question, both for the Israelites, for the Jewish people, the Jewish lawyers and religious authorities at the time, and also for the masses, will everything be okay? Please tell us, will everything be okay? Maybe you're feeling like that this morning. Will everything be okay? Like this thing that we've been a part of for 27 years called the meeting house, will everything be okay? How are we leaning into the light of God that's moving by his spirit, that's taking us maybe in a different direction? Will everything be okay? Am I safe? Does God care? or the correction of the same question, will everything be okay? Like I've put time and money and effort and volunteerism and uh, my own sense of uh, religious status into, into this system. Like, shouldn't this be okay? And I think God's message to us is still uh, kindness. It's still like, look at the birds, look at the flowers, look at the lilies. Do you not trust? Do you not have faith? Don't put your, your you know, eggs in, in the basket of like insecurity, anxiety, and lack of faith. Trust that God in his kindness is still here, is still with us, still dwells within us as a spirit and is shaping the body in a different direction than maybe what our assumptions might have been. 
So it's fascinating in this section, Jesus talks a ton about kingdom. Kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. Now, in the, the economy of uh, Israel, of the Jewish people at the time, kingdom wasn't just like a, a word for a political power. It actually um, was a very religious statement. So the people of Israel, uh, your land, your stuff, your family, even your family home, symbolized the blessing of God, that God was for you and that was giving you stuff. And so as an ancient Israelite, you held onto that tightly, like your, your farmland, the kingdom, the physical, tactile, geographical uh, space where you dwelt meant something. And to lose that meant something altogether. And Jesus is flipping things on its head here. Now, remember, Jesus is now talking to the crowds. He's talking to, to his disciples and he's talking to the crowds. And then he summarizes, his, uh, don't worry, little flock. Don't worry, little flock. For God in his kindness is pleased, is pleased to give you the keys to the kingdom. Now at the time, many of Jesus' hearers would have like little to nothing in terms of their own, um, what they owned, what they had. They, they lived in, in scarcity. So the crowds and even the disciples at the time likely had like one extra tunic or one extra coat. That was it. Most of them would have been like a bit nomadic, traveling from town to town, city to city, trying to hear this rabbi teach. We're trying to find a place to sleep and live. Uh, we're not given a lot of information. Even of the disciples, we're not given a ton of information about the, their family lineage. And so these people, the disciples included, were one disaster, one reality, one event away from their own destruction. And Jesus tells them not to stress. Now in our Western ears, we can hear a section like this and think, oh my goodness, this is, this is a, a rebuke around having too much stuff. Well, yeah, maybe in our own context, in their context, it was a, a lightening of the load of people who had little to nothing. So saying, don't worry about the things that you do not have. You have God, you have the Father's heart, love for you and with you. And Jesus now here in the flesh, the spirit which will live in you, you have everything you need. So do not worry. Do not worry. And Jesus was changing all that. This new kingdom would show grace and blessing to all people of every race and place. This new kingdom would show blessing to all people of every race and place. Jesus is saying something about his followers who now might be little in number, little in power, little in social standing, or some combination of all of that. But this little, little flock should not fear because it's your, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This unassuming, insignificant flock can no longer rely on the power or the strength of their previous historical story or their wealth or their buildings or their church structures, but must depend wholly on God. And then they should also be focused on the little kingdoms that are all around them, the little things that seem unimportant or insignificant and paying attention to the things that we're often tempted to overlook, that this is where the kingdom of God is now spreading out. Pay attention to the little things that seem insignificant to the world, the people on the margin that God cares deeply about. This is the little flock. It's the opposite of a church growth strategy. It's focused on the small, the overlooked, the hurting, the wounded, and caring for them. Do not be afraid, little flock, for God is pleased to give you the keys to the kingdom. And that, that line has been resonating with me like nonstop. Don't be afraid, little flock, because it, it pleases God to give you the, the, key, the, the kingdom. And um, so one of the things we tend to do when we're, we're in a series like this is we'll just kind of brush 
through and be like, all right, that was a great series. Okay, on to the next one. The next one is going to be great, actually. It's Moses and Jesus, the space in between. Yeah, next week, starting next week, Sunday. But we have a tendency of like moving past it. Okay, so that was last week's insight. That was last week's wisdom. So now on to the next thing. But I think there are things that, I, I, I think of like things that stick and stay, right? So, so just because it was from two weeks ago doesn't mean that it's any less true. So that there's some things that came up. Some of the things for me that are sticking and staying from the last three weeks is uh, well, two things. You spoke with uh, Laura last week talking about just slowing down. Yeah, God moves slow. And I think there's a tendency for us to want to move quickly. Uh, resolution, like we just want to, we just going to get to that place. And the other piece was uh, primarily for me is just this, um, this tension that I sit with Jesus' teaching of being simple. That's our message and we say it a lot, but the way that we present that, the way that it comes out is actually very, it's not, this is not simple. <laughs> I, I recognize the tension and the irony of like lights and the big stage and in a theater. It's like this is this interesting tension of the simplicity, but also in the message. So sitting at you, because you asked the question, what are the rituals that stick with us, right? That are keeping us from Jesus. So the quick hits, that's sticking and staying with me or the pebble in my shoe, but I'd love to hear from just a couple quick. Yeah, for me, I mean, all kinds of things. Quincy, when you spoke week one, just that question you asked about like, when we turn the lights on, what gets exposed? And that stuck with me in my own personal devotions and convictions to say what would be exposed and Jesus transformed me in and out of that. So that's really what's stayed with me uh, personally. Uh, and then um, last week when Laura said that God meets us in the middle and how so often we want to just fast forward and get to the good part. Uh, the, you know, in movies, Laura referred to this uh, in a conversation I'd had with her where she talks in movies, there's like the two minute montage, you know, the eye of the tiger, the running up the hill, the training, the whatever. And you just get to get to the big reveal of they're stronger, their performance goes great. They're totally transformed. But it's that middle where Jesus meets us. And I, I have really been uh, stuck with that too, that his presence has never left us, but also the middle is really important. And that's where we find ourselves right now. A couple funny things that like, so I'm, uh, some of you know, I'm a huge fan of like the, the Office, the TV series, The Office. Uh, and so there's like a little chunk of humor right in the middle of, uh, of, of chapter 12 that just kind of reminds me of Michael Scott. So uh, Jesus, this is what's been sticking with me of like giving me the giggles that sometimes we miss when we just have like an overly religious sense of reading through the Bible. It's like, there's a ton of humor and like our own strange awkwardness in there. And so it's actually verse, uh, Verse 13, verse 13, look it up. It's hilarious and we, we miss it. So uh, Jesus is talking about like, don't accumulate stuff. He's talking to the crowds, right? And so there's a huge crowd that's gathered and he's talking about like, don't worry, don't stress out. And then he goes like for the jugular here and says like, even when you're, you're brought before the court to the synagogues, the, the temple leaders, and you're gonna lose your life, don't worry, don't stress about it. The, the, the spirit of God will give you what to say. The Holy Spirit will give you what to say. And I stopped there and I'm like, oh my goodness, what a line, that's amazing. And then it's funny that in verse 13, then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to give us like our father's estate, divide us with, divide it with us. It's just like somebody who hasn't been listening is like, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I want my father's estate. Can you do that? And then Jesus like funny answer. He's like, brother, friend, why am I to be the judge of that? Okay, let's start over. And he tells a story again. It's hilarious. He jumps right in there. It's like, Gary's not listening again. Darn it, Gary. Come on. We just talked about this. I'm sorry if your name is Gary. Um, 
But that like little humorous ch- uh, chuckle moment of like probably the disciples and Jesus, Jesus is that big sigh of like, okay, boys and girls, let's try this again. Uh, the other thing that, that really s- sticks with me in a more profound sense is uh, Jesus continues to use like um, animal creation language. Right, and so birds and sparrows and ravens, which like we think, oh, aren't those things pretty? Like there are birds in my backyard. There's a cardinal that shows up on my front, on my fence every morning. Way different economy uh, at the time. Birds were like the cheapest thing that you could buy to give sacrifice. Birds were there because they were like, oh, what are those things? They come and like pick at our gardens and come and pick at our. Our, our land, this blessing. They're, they're a detriment to the kingdom of God, not a blessing. And Jesus flips it and says, like, God actually cares about them too. It's like the only thing that you can afford to give sacrifice to, and God cares about them. Imagine how much he cares about you. So Jesus linking the identity of like a, a, an animal that has little to no significance and people who would have felt the same. We have little to no significance. And God goes, no, you're actually at the top of the food chain in terms of who God sees and loves and cares about right now. Think how much God cares for you. And so when I find myself in those moments of like, what are we doing? What am I doing? How am I orienting my life? Like, uh, I don't know, Lord. Just hearing the words of Jesus being, think about that bird that's on your fence. Think about the most insignificant things that you think have little value in your life. And God cares about those things. Think about how much I care for you, Jimmy. Think about how much I care for you. Let that be your top priority, nothing else. Let's read that last little chunk of scripture um, as we wrap things up, starting at verse 29. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after, after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And as we spent the number uh, of weeks talking about turning on the lights, and now this morning we're talking about kingdom, and my mind goes to movies as well, and I think of that iconic scene in The Lion King, if you've seen it, everybody know that one? And Mufasa, who's got that, you know, that James Earl Jones voice that says, Simba, everything that the light touches is our kingdom. And I like, I love that, right? And little Simba's like, wow, you know, his eyes are big. And, and, and when we talk about kingdom, it's so, it's so big, it's so impressive, it's so expansive, it's large, it's, it's, it's wow. And then Jesus comes and just kind of flips that and, and everything the, the light touches is our kingdom. And, it's, and, and my mind just goes to this place of everything the light of the world touches is the kingdom. Everything the light of the world touches is the kingdom. And it's not impressive. It's not big. It's not vast. It's very unassuming. It's simple. As we can spend time worrying about uh, the size of our budget. Uh, we can spend time worrying about uh, name recognition or celebrity, uh, celebrity names or faces that come through our doors. We can worry about the things that people may be saying from the outside, but the kingdom of God is small, oftentimes ignored, and, and usually unassuming, but the, 
the profound power and beauty of it. The light of the world touches the one with leprosy, so we don't have to be afraid. The light of the world touches the widow who gives the two cents, so we don't have to be afraid. The light of the world touches the little boy that gives up his lunch in order to feed the masses. The light of the world touches the man that stands alone where no one can see, contemplating whether or not to make a harmful choice to feed an appetite or to, to sacrifice and to make a real decision that honors God. The light of the world touches the one that cleans up for his friend that can no longer take care of themselves. We don't have to be afraid. These small, unassuming, often ignored experiences is what the kingdom is. The light of the world that touches the two or three that are gathered and walk together through darkness and uncertainty. We don't have to be afraid. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the keys of this kingdom, the small, unassuming, and often ignored kingdom. We live in the unshakable kingdom of God. And this kingdom is not in trouble, and neither are we. So let's pray. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, as it seems as though things shake, and continue to shake. If we pick up our phone, if we scroll social media, if we turn on the news, if we even look across the dinner table in our family in some cases, we sense the shaking, but can trust that you have given us everything that we need and then some, that we can be confident in turning on the lights to know that you're there with us. You love us. You have not forsaken us. And that your kingdom is not in trouble and neither are we. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.